0: You are, you are now tuned in, in, to, the in to the December 26er, December 26er podcast, podcast where, we where we encourage you, you to, be to be extraordinary on an ordinary, on an ordinary day. day. Hey, 26er family, welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and this episode features Randall E. Toby. Randall is a motivational speaker, career coach, and creator of the Breakfast with Our Boys series, which is an interactive two-hour conversation with male youth 12 to 18 years of age on topics important to their positive growth. Now, from the moment I met Randall, he just radiated positive energy. And upon first meeting him, you'd be hard-pressed to know that his upbringing could have yielded a very different outcome. Born in Brooklyn, Randall grew up with a mother who suffered from mental illness, and he experienced homelessness as both a child and in adulthood. Yet he has persisted with his vision to inspire others, so much so that he left a stable job to chart his course as a speaker and coach full-time. It has not been easy, but as you'll soon find out, Randall does not give up.
1: So take a listen, and I hope you enjoy.
0: Randall, welcome to the December 26th podcast. It
1: is an honor and a pleasure. Magno Simmons is in the building.
0: Listen, every conversation I've had with you, which is this point has been a handful, you bring a level of energy that I probably have never seen. <laughs>
1: I've heard that more than once. So I take it as a compliment. It
0: is a compliment because you were you so you're in a class all by yourself, Thank and you now so that much. I know that you have a, a, a history in the music business, it explains some of it. Because okay. you know the music business requires a, a, a bit of aggression. You have to um, be on your game. You got to be on your game. So I, I appreciate it. I, I appreciate it a lot. So we'll get into to your journey. Sure, sure. But let's start where we always start. Who is Randall
1: E. Toby? I would say. I am one of God's soldiers, a survivor, a leader, and a man that wants to leave a legacy when I leave this earth.
0: So that's a lot um, to unpack, which is great, which we (laughs) love on this show. So I want to talk about the survivor piece first. What was your what's your origin story?
1: Well, native New Yorker born Mm -hmm. in Brooklyn. The thing I talk about often is my mother's mental illness. She was diagnosed as paranoid schizophrenia. With paranoid schizophrenia. And as you know, with mental illness, the person on the outside seems fine, but their behavior is off. Mm -hmm. So my mother was diagnosed when I was about seven to eight, my brother Glenn and I. And because of that, we became homeless. So that's something that always stayed with me. And also motivates me as well.
0: So let's dig a little bit more deeply into that because you're not even 10 yet. You know, so did you know something is not right with my mom? She's different than the other moms. It was gradual.
1: I Mm -hmm. would see her speaking to herself, talking to herself, erratic behavior, um, sometimes mean, sometimes happy. But she was always very loving and she was always very sharp. So it was kind of an odd combination. But When we came home and saw the eviction notice on the door, my brother Glenn and I, we knew that things were going a different direction, even though we were young. Mm
0: -hmm. All right. So you saw the eviction notice on the door because, you know, I'm presuming that there's a level of instability there in terms of employment, finances, et cetera. So where did you guys end up?
1: Well, for about two weeks, um, we lived outdoors. We actually were in downtown Brooklyn um, at the subway station. Really. And I remember that there was a guy that came over to us. And my brother and I had cowboy hats on with a blue badge and a red badge. And he said, can I take your kid's picture? And somewhere I still have that picture uh, of a sitting on the bench, uh, realizing that we live there for that period of time before, you know, getting on public assistance and, and being on welfare. So it's something that stays with me. It's part of me. I'm not ashamed of it at all because uh, I consider myself also an advocate in that area.
0: So you're young living because, you know, we hear these stories a lot of instability when it comes to housing. But usually when people are like we were homeless, it's like we had to go live with Big Mama or, you know, my uncle took us in. But you were living for a couple of weeks at a subway station.
1: Oh, absolutely. And we did the, the Big Mama thing. We went mm-hmm. to my aunt's house in St. Albans, Queens. Um downtown Brooklyn, what was considered a welfare hotel at the time, the St. George. Mm -hmm. So there was a combination of a few things, uh, but it helped develop me to who I am today. And I'm really kind of grateful for it, believe it or not.
0: So how do you think that it helped you in
1: terms of developing your persona? One of the things is not to value material things too much Mm -hmm. because anything could be taken away. Uh, Also, that certain things don't shake me losing a job uh, when I was young, losing a relationship because I knew that no matter what happened, brighter days were always ahead.
0: So, I presume that you had that period of homelessness, but got into public housing or on social, uh, you know, public assistance or what have you, found a level of, of stability. But that is only one piece. You still have a mother who's dealing with mental illness. So how did that play into your preteen and teenage years?
1: Those were probably very difficult because she was uh, institutionalized for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to see your mother in a mental institution is a very painful thing. We're about 16 or 17, I think, the first time. And even at one point, she was strapped to to a a chair, um, wouldn't take her medicine and going into that environment is very painful because beside the smells and the visual, Mm -hmm. it kind of stays with you but it gives you a better understanding because sometimes people think homelessness is just making bad financial decisions, but there are veterans because suffering as well, Um, people with mental illness. There's so many reasons people become homeless. So the more you know about it, the better you understand those people can help them.
0: So I'm I'm jumping ahead of myself here, but it it popped in my head, so I'm gonna go with it. I remember reading um, Q, Quincy Jones's uh, autobiography where he speaks a lot about his mother and her mental illness and being institutionalized And that relationship being so fractured. Yes. Not just because of what she was struggling with, but also the view of his family because his mom was, quote, crazy um, and how that really played into his interactions with women um, and and relationships, because, of course, that's the first, you know, male, female inter- interaction that you're having. Do you feel that that impacted y- your romantic relationships or how you interact with women as an adult, considering
1: the strain or the experiences that you have with your mother? That's a great question. Mm-hmm. I don't really feel it bothered me. To that degree, I think not having a father early on in my mm-hmm. life was more of had more of an effect because as opposed to um, developing a, a healthy perspective of women, it was more of how many women can I spend time with? Gotcha. Like mm-hmm. a lot of men who mm-hmm. don't have that guidance of what a real relationship is in my younger years. But I think I really put it away in a place that it didn't affect me having a healthy relationship with women Mm -hmm. as far as that's concerned because of seeing what she went through. It was a blessing. I think I've always had a guardian angel Mm -hmm. uh, on my shoulder.
0: So you have some instability in your childhood, mom's institutionalized in your teen years, but you go out into the world and find a profession and and all that stuff. So tell me a little bit about how your academic and professional career progressed.
1: Wow. I, I think early on, I started promoting parties with my Mm -hmm. brother and we did a lot of stuff with the old school hip hop artists um, in the Bronx and Harlem. So we're doing parties before Run-DMC more around the Russell Simmons time. Mm -hmm. And I think it really made me want to have more because I always had my mind I want to buy my mom a house. I wanted to put her somewhere she could feel safe because despite her illness, she was one of the sweetest, uh, most down to earth, charming, articulate women you'd ever meet. Uh, And I wanted to reward her despite what happened to her. So I actually went to sales. You said Mm -hmm. you can see that. that, Shocking, uh, you You went to sales. sales. (laughs) Um, I worked for American Express as an account manager at 40 Wall Street um, and Verizon Wireless in, in the wireless industry. And did very, very well mm-hmm. uh, because I had the ability, ability to be very persuasive. And also I had a, a strength to draw people to me, which is something very special. Uh, and I used that to really build my career during that time.
0: So you're in sales... You're, you know, doing really well for yourself. But at some point you had to have thought, "Mm, there's something more than this. So what was
1: the first real transition for you in your career? I think after promoting parties in my late teens, I could never be at a job and be happy. Mm -hmm. There was always something I needed to do more and be more. But I didn't know what that was. So people used to always ask me to speak at weddings and special events. I never wanted to speak. I have my wine. Let me chill. (laughs) I don't want to be the person to do the toast and everything else. So I thought sales was my thing, but I ended up finding out serving others was, was what I was supposed to be mm-hmm. uh, as far as a motivator, a mentor and things along that line. So I think it kind of led me there.
0: So it's one thing to say, hey, you know, I'm meant to motivate people and speak. And it's another thing to leave commissioned sales job and pursue that. So what was the internal dialogue that was happening and how did you make the decision to walk away from a job to pursue this.
1: You know, time. it's funny in the early stages of my career, when I was at work and I wasn't happy and supervisor, manager wasn't being fair, I always thought I'll just leave. I never I never had fear of leaving, leaving a job. Mm-hmm. I never understood people that go, I got to pay my rent. I have to pay my mortgage. I understand it. It makes sense. But I didn't have that internal fear because I felt I controlled a certain part of my destiny. I'm going to find a way to make money mm-hmm. legally. I decided that when those those gaps came, I did other things. You know, I helped some artists. I was a road manager for Capitol Records for the Black Havana Tour. Um, I got paid to go do some other road management for artists. So I was always able to generate additional revenue. We even ran a, a cleaning business for five years, cleaning people's homes. So... I always said to myself, when I find the right vehicle, I will leave. But the last job I had in workforce development, uh, after six years um, starting out helping those in the criminal justice system find jobs and then transitioning into training, when I got into the classroom and was in front of a group, that's when I realized it's time to go. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Again.
0: So it took some time. So take me back though, because like when you, when you hear um, people are like, oh, I was a, a road manager. It's one thing to promote parties, it's another thing to work for Capitol Records. Mm-hmm. You and I can could tell from the first conversation, you exude confidence. You're someone who sets your sight on something and you're like, Thank you. I'm going to make this happen and that's it. But how did you break into that space?
1: That's a great question. Well, in the early stages of hip hop, we developed a lot of uh, relationships like Kenny Ortiz. Capitol Records and so they would see us doing a lot of local parties and shows and we tried to sell our music to all these major labels which we didn't get a major deal even though we finally got a publishing deal at BMI they would see me all the time and said man Rand, I really like you we need to do something together so they saw my leadership and the way I carried myself, and when opportunities came, they would say to me, "Listen, can you go here? We'll pay you to come, you know, do different things behind the scenes." Which I like being behind the scenes at that time.
0: At that time. At that. Time. <laughs> so okay, so you have success in the music industry. Probably got out at a good time. A great time. Because you know it, it's it's a different ball it's game whole, now. Yes. You know, so I couldn't mess around today. Yeah, no, different ball game. Moved into uh, workforce development, and I want to speak about that too because Certainly. people hear things like, "Oh, you worked with." Formerly incarcerated, and they're like, "That's such amazing work." You know, it, it it pulls on people's heartstrings. As someone who has dabbled in that space and was very committed uh, to the community in that way, I also know
1: it is very difficult work. It drains you mm-hmm. to some degree. The first year I was there, I was an account manager. So the program in Brooklyn, everyone that was released, probation, parole, came there at no charge to them, and our job was to find them work. Mm-hmm. Some on the phone most of the day, calling companies to help people come in and find jobs. Um, so it was really amazing. I really realized I love what I did. And to see individuals that made a mistake, and we're not talking about somebody that sold drugs their entire life or <laughs> whatever they did, There were there's also a group of people that made the one mistake or yeah. two mistakes that they were decent people and good people. And to see them make that mistake and not be able to find work and companies judge them on what happened was kind of painful. Mm-hmm. So I related to what they were dealing with, even though I did not do time, But I was really good at convincing companies to take these people on.
0: So how did you interface or address um, dealing with, uh, okay, let's just say brothers, right? Right. Dealing with our community who have been locked down and that trauma affecting how they approach the world. So someone who has done a bid now coming out, coming to you for help, but sometimes projecting a mistrust or an anger because of what they've been through onto you. How did you work through that and really disarm them in that situation?
1: That's something that was very difficult. But I believe I was very successful at it because mm-hmm. I talked a lot about, started about their childhood, that they weren't born into what happened. And then I would show stories of different people that went through adversity and how they overcame it. So I would play a lot of videos, mm-hmm. you know, man with no arms and no legs, a person that was blind, showing people whose circumstances could have been shown as the worst. But still, they made it mm-hmm. so they could make it. You can make it, too. So I had a lot of one on one conversations and also building trust. You know, when someone come out after 15, 16 years and they're angry well, Mr. Toby, I just want a job. Great. Do you have a resume? No. Did you practice interviewing? No. Do you know what you want to do? No. And slowly we started putting together what they needed. And when they started seeing those results, they started to become proud of themselves and they changed their behavior.
0: Right. So you do that. You find that you're good at it. It is not easy work getting, finding employment for those who, who no. do have a, a criminal past or a record. Um. But then you realize, mm, I'm going to make the leap. Um. I'm going to go into entrepreneurship. So did you have things lined up that that could bring money to you immediately? That's a great question. The answer is no. Okay. Did you have a nest egg?
1: I did have a nest egg.
0: Okay. So you had that piece. I had a
1: nest egg. I was in the process of purchasing another home. So I just knew that I had developed enough over those six years. And when I stopped doing the job placement, I then went into training. And in that position, I was in front of an audience, a class, talking to all types of individuals, also work with those in public assistance, mm-hmm. helping them to find work. So I already had an idea of what I could do. It was just a matter just to do it. Um, I'm not a person that lives my life on regrets. I've Mm -hmm. never been a person regrets anything because everything you have is going to lead you where you're supposed to be if you follow that path. But I also knew I did not want to be at work and be unhappy. I'm never a person that's going to say, man, I hate my job. If I hate the job, I'm out. And then I find what I want to do. So I think a lot of it is internal. It's knowing who you are. And sometimes I think at jobs, they didn't know who I was. So I was always the odd man out in some degree. People didn't quite understand me. Um, not because of my professionalism. Just just get it done, man. Mm-hmm. At one point, I have to tell you, for the majority of the time, I got up at 4.30 in the morning. I took the 5.20 bus. I got to Harlem or Brooklyn 7.15 I didn't start work to 830. I was never late. I didn't call out sick unnecessarily ever. So that drive that I had, I knew that nobody could outwork me. So whatever I did, I was going to put work in.
0: And I think that's an important point to raise because often, especially 26er types, they know that there's something more, right? They're like, this is not my life's work. I need, I need to be doing something else. And it's the, do they know who I am? Right. But I think where people get off track is they start to show up late or, you know, it's like, I just don't want to do this job anymore. And it reflects in the work and the effort that they put in because they're just over it. That's um, true. And and what sort of separates the wheat from the tear are the people who are able to say, I can't stand this job. They don't see me for who I am, but I'm going to, nobody's going to outwork me while I'm here. And when I leave, they won't be able to say bad thing about me. Or maybe they might say I'm too confident. But, you know, so I, I think that's important to highlight.
1: But you know, it's amazing because I was in a management, Position. Mm-hmm. I resigned and gave him thirty days' notice. Mm-hmm. So they're like thirty days' notice. Yeah, I'm not rushing. I'm taking my time because when I leave, I wanted to leave it as as right as possible mm-hmm. in the right position. And um. I had no pressure. Uh, I'm sure I could go back if I wanted to, to some capacity, if that was my my choice. I believe I left on really great terms. I was good at what I did, but um, God has other things ahead, so mm-hmm. I never look back.
0: So you say so you never look back. You leave. Were you married at this time?
1: Yes, I was. Okay,
0: so have a wife. What was she saying when you were like, "I'm yeah, I'm I'm out. I'm leaving this job."
1: What took so long? Really? She has the same fire that I have. My wife's an entrepreneur. Um she has an amazing spirit um and one thing I always say is a good woman makes a good man great mm-hmm. so she's my ride and die so I knew we were going to do it together it wasn't me leaving. It was us leaving.
0: So we, we get into like the details on the December 26th of podcast. You mentioned that you had a runway or, or a nest egg. How much runway was there before things are going to be getting a little dicey on the, on the money That's front? A good,
1: you have know, my pockets now. <laughs> Listen, well, was, we, we asked all the questions. I, I'm only kidding. It, it was over 40,000. <laughs> OK. Which is not a lot to me. But more than a lot of people have. That's true. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people say stay there and build your nest, yes. nest egg. But sometimes if not now, when? hmm there's no perfect time. There's a saying that said different ways that you plan and God decides. So no matter what you do, there's gonna be uh, opposition mm-hmm. and obstacles. So you just have to do it. And when things go wrong, just change your direction.
0: Okay. So you had a good amount of money. That's that's a solid. And what year was this?
1: Oh, about a year and a half ago.
0: A year, and a half ago. A year and a half ago. Okay. So under so that was under our current regime, which we will to even get into that. <laughs> yes. But um another but, time. Yes, another time. But um, so you take take this money. What did that first day look like? So when you resigned and then you wake up and you go from employee to entrepreneur with this money in the bank and you you've got to make it happen.
1: I woke up for six months the same time I woke up every morning. I could not stay in bed and sleep. Mm-hmm. I can't relate to people like lay till noon and 11. I just couldn't do it. So I just got up and started putting together the plan. What relations do I have that I can nurture to another level. What direction am I going and what are the steps to get there? And I just started moving forward. I think one of my gifts is a person that could put together an idea uh, and take it from conception to launch. Mm-hmm. They all don't work out. When I say I'm going to do mm-hmm. something, I start mapping out a plan. That's mm-hmm. one of my gifts. And then I surround myself with other people that are experts in their area so we can make it successful.
0: So what did that plan look like?
1: It looked like speaking engagements
0: mm-hmm.
1: at various schools or Philadelphia, New York City, churches, colleges. It looked like the book, Mm. which we sold as well with book signings as well. And it like strategic partnerships. So I knew having several revenue streams was the key. And my goal was to be joyous, not happy, because happiness is based on conditions. What you have Mm. joy is continuously in your soul. So I just needed joy in the morning. And I'd rather wake up not having everything being happy than having everything being miserable. And I mean everything by material things.
0: So this whole speaking engagement piece, because I bring this up because we have so many people on this who listen to the show who are like, I have these gifts. I want to motivate people. You know, I want to coach or I want to get these speaking engagements. But that's not putting money in my pocket. And, And having been on the speaker circuit, I know that Speaker speaking engagements are a dime a dozen. Right. Paid speaking engagements and paid speaking engagements that'll pay you more than like the gas to get there are rare. So you were, you were interfacing with these schools and churches and opportunities. But were you getting the check attached?
1: And if so, how? Well, prior to that, I must have done several hundred free events. Mm-hmm. So when I sat down, I had a portfolio and I presented it. Also, I was able or blessed to get two clients hire me as an independent contractor mm-hmm. to do workshops for their programs. One is in Trenton, which is work with young men uh, in the fatherhood program. They had seen my work. I'd established relationships. So twice a month, they paid me to come in to do those events. So I always had little bits and pieces, putting it together to make it whole.
0: And let me, let me ask you this, um, because often I think there's an expectation or an assumption that when you are Black and a speaker, you only speak to Black audiences and you, you are not, Unless you've reached, you know, the highest heights of success where people don't see the color anymore, you know, the Oprah Winfrey's of the world. Um, Did you feel that? Did you feel like, okay, let me focus on my people. Let me try to get engagements at the churches because it might be easier. Um, Or were were you did you feel you were able to integrate and and get those diverse speaking opportunities? For
1: me, because of the different topics and subjects that Mm -hmm. I can put together, I was open to any and everyone. Mm -hmm. There was a special focus with at risk youth and people of color. But a lot of the schools i gone to were diverse schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the principals at a local school in, in my community wants to become a more regular basis. So I kind of just went after whoever was in pain. Mm-hmm. I did not attach a color to it, but there was a certain concentration of people of color.
0: But do you think those those opportunities for people that that don't look like you, do you think the cell was harder? Absolutely. Mm hmm.
1: What do you know? Yeah. How do you relate? Because those assumptions are made. So the presentation might be a little bit different, um, but it was just as strong. Mm -hmm. You know, when when you have good stuff, people want your good stuff. Uh, And I think economic power can overcome color to a certain degree, meaning it can put you places that you wouldn't be able to go before. Mm-hmm. Now, when you get there, they're going to look at you and still say you're a person of color, but it will open doors because the bottom line is people want to make money and be successful together.
0: Mm-hmm. So let's talk about this book uh, that you wrote, uh, Suited for Success. Was that completed before you started on this entrepreneurial journey or did you start it after
1: you left the job? It was about to be released right after I left the job. Okay. So the project came about because a gentleman by the name of P.K. Kersey from That Suit You would follow me in social media and we'd compliment each other and watch each other. And he approached me about being part of this anthology of 25 men of color, Mm -hmm. talking about their adversity and how they overcame. But at first I'm thinking, well, I have a book I'm working on. I have my own book. I'm in here with 25 other guys. It was the best decision I ever made. Not only did it become a number one Amazon bestseller, but I'm also going into the schools, meet with groups of men, uh, young men, and talk about how can they be successful based on the different stories from the different men. So sometimes your plan that you have is not the plan it's meant to be. Right. And um, the book has done very well. Uh, Matter of fact, I'm going to tell you now, they're going to do volume two, which I'm going to be part of that as well. Mm -hmm. And it's been a great project because the goal was to encourage people and motivate people, especially young men of color. And I believe it's doing that.
0: So one of the things that I think people struggle with um, doing things independently is I created this great project or I created these great speaking opportunities. I've written this book and I can't get eyes and ears on it. Um, how do I get to the point where it is making money for me and it's picking up steam in a way that I'm now making money in my sleep because I created this thing? Right. How have you gone about that publicity and PR piece to create these multiple streams of income, where every dollar is not tied to you doing
1: something, if that makes sense. That's right? a great. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. I think I'm still on that journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I've arrived by any standard, but I know I I constantly um, have different ways to approach people. As I said, I was doing the book signings. I have some of the schools now uh, advocating to try to get them to carry through the book as well. Speaking engages coming from the book, so it's just a platform to put you in front of people. To tell your story mm-hmm. so that people can relate to what you went through and be able to learn from your mistakes as well.
0: So you're at a point now where you have consistent opportunity. Do you have those days, though, where you're like, mm, where's the next dollar coming from?
1: I think that like that, even when the dollar comes in, mm-hmm. it's all about planning ahead. You know, you have to look down the road. If you just get something, become satisfied, you become stagnant. So already I'm looking in the next six months, the next year, the next two years and trying to plan out that way. Now, I can't control anything but at least I have a plan. Mm. And if it doesn't work out, I can now adapt. See, without... Any type of plan is like driving your car to California without a GPS. You might get lost. Mm -hmm. So I try to make sure that I have some things out there.
0: So tell me a little bit about Magnificent Men Mentoring Group.
1: I have to say that I'm I'm just so excited. Um, We were doing a lot of things in New York City for the last five to six years. We had a partnership with the library in East Harlem, but now we've decided to be mobile. So right now we're partnering with two churches out in South Jersey. Uh, We're working to do something with the police department. And what we do is Organizations hire us to come in and we do group mentoring sessions. We do special events as well. And we're starting to grow. And the team that we have are really some wonderful people. It's kind of a grassroots thing. Mm -hmm. And the presentations are anything from interview presentation skills um, to technology. And we develop partnerships with other organizations to refer men and women, men and young men to those events as well.
0: So let's talk about the business of that a little bit, because when you start getting into Uplift, right, and when you start saying, oh, we're working with churches and all this other stuff, People here free all the time. It, it, that is the assumption all the time. We want you to come in. Can you sell, you know, your gifts into us and and all this other stuff? So when you, ha- I'm sure you have those conversations where all people are like, "Can you just do this, right?" And um, when you are a giver, right? It, it, I know for me, sometimes it's hard to be like, "Hold on now," <laughs> <laughs> right, you know. Right. Hold uh, a minute. Need but, some gas for the car. Yeah, but it's necessary. It is when. This is now what you do. This is your livelihood. So when you're in those difficult conversations where people see they see value in what you have, but they are a church or a a nonprofit or another organization who's trying to figure out how to get resources for little to no money. Yes. yes. How do you respond? That's
1: a great question. You know, we haven't really done a lot um, without you know, some type of, of fee mm-hmm. uh, only because we feel that the quality what we bring is, is tremendous. But I also start a project called Breakfast with Our Boys. So one of the things we do is, OK, we will do this, but in return, we're going to ask you to sponsor two boys for this breakfast. So it's a win-win for everyone. And so far, we've gotten tremendous uh, support from uh, Troy Singleton, mm-hmm. the senator in New Jersey, uh, several sing- uh, mayors of Willingboro, New Jersey and Burlington City. And so we kind of have it where we offer something in return so that way we all can win because they have to understand a church has to keep their lights on right Mm -hmm. you have tithing and, and people donate their 10% so it's also a business and sometimes you have to just remind people that it is a business
0: do you have to walk away often
1: I have no problem now In the beginning, I would say, you know what? I'm doing it for the people. I'm doing it for the love. But then it doesn't become a business. So you have to set your sights. How do you make it a business entity? Because you're right. When it comes to giving, everybody wants something for free. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, you're going to bless us and our kid. But they have to understand you have to operate and run the business and grow it. So in order to go to that next level, you do have to bring in and generate revenue.
0: Right. So I want to talk more about the work that you do with men, Um, because one of the things that we've had, a lot of men on the show, way more than, than we've had women, and, and a lot of the recurring things that we've talked about is therapy, um, vulnerability, the ability to communicate, being open. So oftentimes, when it comes to men, there is a lot of focus on the tactical. Um, you know, the how to get a better job, how to dress, right. how, you know, how to how to sell yourself, but. Particularly in our communities, um, we're still working to destigmatize some of the internal psychological and emotional work that needs to be done. Have you been on that journey yourself or felt the need to be a conduit for that as a black man who is
1: whole and in a healthy relationship, et cetera? That's a great point, because, yes, Mm -hmm. uh, a matter of fact, a lot of stuff we talk about is self-empowerment this past Saturday. Uh, at RCBC in Burlington, Burlington, New Jersey, we did a men's forum, uh, Pathways to to Success. Mm -hmm. And we did have some free clothing and some breakfast, but we also talk about things about the pain, like being a dad that has a daughter and son that no longer sit down and have dinner with you at the table. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to do their own thing. How do you handle that not being around? Um, How to have your mother-in-law that might live with you or changes in your life. So, Some of those things are on the table as well, because the exterior is one thing. But as men, we have a lot of pain on the inside that's not often addressed. So we do have those real conversations about real issues. Men being molested, Mm -hmm. not being the breadwinner, um, formerly incarcerated in the criminal justice system. So we do have those other conversations that are just as vital as the ones that we hear all the time.
0: And your personal journey, you know, you mentioned Growing up without a dad and how that informed sort of the way you approached women. Um, and I'm sure being in the music industry did not
1: help at, at all. Didn't help. Didn't help. <laughs>
0: um,
1: but when did that switch happen for you? I have to say it happened. Um At one of my previous relationships, when I realized that I was a leader and I had to be an example for other men and eventually an example for my children. So what I found of not having a dad listen to other men or young men, the thing was about being with as many women as you can. Mm -hmm. That's what makes you successful, being a conqueror, going after different relationships just for the point because you can do it. You're not looking at the soul the spirit of that individual, of Mother Africa that you're with, because you're looking at it as a thing as opposed to a person. And I'm Mm -hmm. being as honest as I can possibly Mm -hmm. be. As you grow into manhood, then you realize anyone you're with, you're exchanging something spiritual. So you Mm -hmm. need to be with the right souls because you're going to embed into each other different things. So I'd have to say when I passed 30, I really started having a different perspective and started watching certain men I admired in leadership who talked about the importance of a woman. And I really had a tremendous respect and wanted to be someone that could help guide, direct them and be a friend more than anything else.
0: Did you ever feel that there was a, a, a void that needed to be addressed or feel, filled as it relates to having an absentee father?
1: Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, any man that says it means nothing is not true. I remember distinctively at 20, riding a bus, looking out the window and seeing a Caucasian young man playing catch with his son. A tear went down my eye and I couldn't understand why. I never had a man say, I love you or play baseball, something minor. But thank goodness I was blessed that my father and I did have a relationship before he passed. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was very successful working for the government. He reached out to me. And for the last 10 years of his life, we had a good relationship.
0: Okay, so let's because you kind of glazed over a, a, a little bit. Very successful working for the government, but was not present. Not with me. In your life. At all. So it's one thing to... You know, have a father who wasn't present because they were battling demons or, you know, something else is going on. But it sounds like he had a level of stability. He 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 just wasn't present. He wasn't
1: present. Mm -hmm. Uh, He ended up getting remarried. Um, He was a regional commissioner for health, education and welfare for New York and Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. He was in Jet Magazine on the newspaper. I know a lot of my style I get from him. Uh, And like most men, it was painful. But as we sat down and talked, he tried to apologize the best way he could. His career and other life was more important. And when I became a father and had children, I tried to do better. But I also understood that not every person, like every woman that has a baby is not meant to be a mother. Mm-hmm. So I had to understand in those early stages, he wasn't prepared. Did you remember, know who he was during that, that oh time? Yeah, that? I remember being a kid, my mother going, oh, your father's in Jet Magazine. I'm like, and so what? Because the early parts, I really had a disdain hate for my dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, like many men did. I was I was mature enough to be honest I'm like, Man, I can't stand you. You weren't here. Mm-hmm. Why? What did I do wrong? Because you think it's you. Because you don't know the, the dynamics of a, of a relationship with your parents. Right. So if they go through a divorce or so they separate, you get mad. But as we mature and as we get older and have our own relationships, you start to realize how how difficult it could be. Mm-hmm. So
0: I think one of the things that I had to get to a point of acknowledgement on was that idea of like avoid or the pain, um, because we're often conditioned, especially in the, the black community, that you have everything you need, even if your parent wasn't here. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You, you know, you were not broken in any way, which is great. But there is a, a a very real emptiness that can come from that person not being present. And I remember one of the first times I had that experience as an adult that you were just talking about where I was like getting um my car serviced and a young woman came in white with her dad. And to get two new tires on her car, and And she and it in and they came in together. She doesn't know what to do, and it was like her dad was like, "Have a seat," and he took care of the whole, you know, the whole situation. And pay for the tires on top of it. And I remember feeling this intense pain that I had missed out on something. And up until that point, I was proud of the fact that I was so independent and I could, you know, I could tell you about an alternator and a starter and this and, and knew how to take care of myself and take care of my car and um, had men who filled in the gap, you know, my godfathers and my uncles. Nice. But in that moment to see, to watch her sit back and her dad to take care of all of that. It was the first time that it, it really cut very deeply and I recognized immediately what it was. Um, and and I, I think we need to do a better job as a community of acknowledging how those absences affect us.
1: Because we ignore people. it. You yeah. Know, you know, mm-hmm. previous generations. Hey, boy, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. He ain't nothing, no, wait, <laughs> whatever right. they say. Mm-hmm. So what we both felt and dealt with, I think most people at some point when you're missing something, there's that aha moment. Yeah. And you had it the way I had it. Like, I'm good. I don't need a father. I'm my own man. Mm-hmm. But then to look out the window and go, I never had a man hug me and say he loves me. I never had a man play baseball with me, say play catch. That's when it dawned on me like, wow, that part was missing.
0: Mm-hmm. And how has that informed your relationship with your children?
1: I believe I'm overly affectionate to some degree. Mm-hmm. You know, pop, get out of here because um, I always want to know that I love them. Mm-hmm. Like my son's 21. I still kiss him on his forehead. Cheek drives him mad. I don't mm-hmm. care because when I die, you know, I loved you. Yeah. So it made me want to show that. A Emotion of as a man, I care. It's okay to hug to tell you I love you. Mm-hmm. So I think it was a little bit overly huggy, holdy, touchy. But it's probably because I didn't have it. But I've gotten to the point now. I, I don't kiss him as much. You know, he's twenty one, you know, <laughs> feel himself. So oh, of course uh, he but, is. But he, yes. But he knows the love was there. and He'll always remember those moments. Mm-hmm.
0: And do you feel that? Okay, so you made the switch. Like oh, I got to stop with the you know collecting. <laughs> Souvenirs, for lack of a better term, yes, and I, you know, I, I want I to quite be. Quite a few souvenirs. Yeah, awesome. I, I want to be a, a husband, and you know, in marriage. But wanting that and going into it and being good at it are two different things. Did you struggle in the beginning with with being in a in a healthy a, a ma- little marriage?
1: bit? Um. But I always felt that I was a fair person. Mm-hmm. And I realized I tried to mirror and see what was considered good relationships. And I had a friend named Arthur who's now in Atlanta. And I remember when his wife, uh, Jan, had cancer and she was dying. And I watched him take care of her with the breast cancer every day at the hospital. And I'd never seen that from a man. Mm-hmm. And I admired and looked up at him. And I said, I want to love somebody like that, that at their worst, I'm there. Mm-hmm. So I think I quickly switched and said, this is what I have to do. I'm not going to be perfect. I'm not going to be without mistakes and flaws, but I know I bring something powerful to the table and I need to have a mate that can do the same as well. Absolutely.
0: All right. So you got the family piece going, supportive wife, um, working on a great relationship with your kids, have, you know, men's mentorship, working on these like speaking engagements. Now you mentioned breakfast with our boys, and I want to unpack that a little bit more. Tell us what you're
1: doing with that initiative. Well, it's so funny because God put in my spirit in the middle of the night, three in the morning, mm-hmm. and I woke up and said, I want to do a separate entity that's a little different than magnificent men. I want to focus on just the young men. I woke my wife up like, listen, we're going to do breakfast with our boys. She's like, "Okay, let's do it. What is it? I said in the morning. (laughs) So what it is, is we have a bi-monthly breakfast with 12, 10 to 12 boys between ages of 12 and 18 at a restaurant out in South Jersey, Riverview Cafe and Bar. And through the two hours, we have two guest speakers and a topic of discussion. And so we've been supported by the local community. Several council people have come out and supported us Some local businesses as well because we get sponsorship Mm -hmm. and they have breakfast. They also receive a free autographed copy of Suited for Success. And the first one was about proper dining etiquette. Mm -hmm. We did some basic manners at the table. So, you know, kids grabbing a fork like this, not using a napkin on their lap, just some of the basics. So every other month we have a different topic and subject with different guest speakers. But it's really a lot of fun and um, our goal is to do it in New York, New Jersey and Philadelphia. We're working on some other locations and we're really excited. So um, if you get a moment, check it out on Facebook and Instagram. Breakfast well, with our boys. You know, I've
0: been present, so I've seen it in action. That's right, you yes, were there. I was there. My brother and
1: you guys came out and support. Mm-hmm. So we're looking to take it to another level um, by working with some local government agencies. So that's one of our plans mm-hmm. uh, that we're working on currently.
0: And, you know, I, I feel fortunate in that I have been... I was groomed very early um, to know how to to act in those environments. But it was because of the programs and teaching how to network and how to to eat at a table, and which fork is which and which knives are uh, the ones you're supposed to pick up and use. And it's so needed on a lot of different levels, just knowing how to move and shake in the world. But also what I like about what you're doing is combining two things, it's combining tactical skills, but also giving them an image of what's possible by bringing men in immediately there. So, I think they're they're getting a, a twofold Training, which is so, which is so necessary. So, what's your vision long term with that, with that
1: program? We we like to make it national. Mm -hmm. That's that's one of the goals we have right now. We're doing it in two states. We plan to do a third state, in New York City, within Mm -hmm. the next sixty days. Um, But we're trying to take our time so the curriculum and the information is correct. We have a lot of men from different organizations that want to come in and spend a few minutes with the young men, which is great. And I think one of the greatest things is when a mother had gone to Claudia and said to her, "You know." I want my son to hear about dining because when I tell him about the knife fork, oh, mom, that's the old school. People don't eat like that anymore. Mm -hmm. And so it gave us a chance to reinforce her message that when you go to a business meeting, this is how you should act. When you go out to eat on a date, these are things you should do. Mm -hmm. These are things that now a lot of young people take for granted because social media Media. Even though it's great for gathering information, we also stop doing some things because everything's right there Mm -hmm. that we overlook so much because we have too much information. So we want these young men to grow to be healthy, uh, and to motivate, to inspire them, so they can be other leaders in the community as well, and also learn how to make eye contact.
0: That's like that is something. Please put your phone down, and and I I don't know when I started feeling like an old head in that way, but just growing up pre-cell phone era and knowing how to have a conversation. face to face. It's insane. It, you know, kids under a certain age, you literally can have an entire conversation with them and they don't look up once. When
1: our children first got their phones, maybe 14, 15, one of the rules was at the table, you couldn't even have it with you. Mm -hmm. We're going to sit here without the phone as a whole. Now they're going to be 20, 21, (laughs) whatever they're doing, they're doing. But instilling those basics at a young age does make a difference Mm -hmm. because when they get around a certain environment, they'll know how to adapt so they can be successful.
0: So going back to what you've built, but also the beginning, when people are like, I want to get started, I'll speak for free, I'll do whatever, I just need the exposure. Now, you're a salesman by nature, right? That's just is inherently who you are. That doesn't come naturally to everyone. So what do you say to the person who wants to get started at this stage? It's not about the check yet. It's just about the opportunity. How do they get themselves out there?
1: It's building relationships. Mm-hmm. It's going to somewhere local and you say, listen, I'm an expert in this particular topic. This is what you specialize in. I would love to come in 15 minutes and just give them some tips and pointers. One of the things I did in the early stages, being a former sales professional, is I always asked for a letter of recommendation mm-hmm. or a letter on your letterhead stating that I was the baddest thing. You ever seen. And people be willing to do that. Even though they're not paying you, you start putting together that portfolio and that body of work. Mm -hmm. So when it's time to get paid, you open up that book and say, I've done A, B, C and D. Now this is my experience. This is the impact it's had. Pay me.
0: Right. Cut the check.
1: Cut the check. Run me my money. Give me my money. (laughs) Give me my money. So whose story do you draw inspiration from? Wow, that's a great question. I didn't have, because I'm a spiritual person, I know my heavenly father um, has given me an anointing and an angel that watches over me. Mm -hmm. There's so much of what I have is innate. I know it sounds crazy, but I kind of made my own path. There hasn't you know, there's not like one particular story, but I'm always inspired by successful people that serve other people. Mm -hmm. Um, Like when President Obama got in the office, which people were very happy about the things he did outside of the norm. You know, the organizations he invested money into with the young program for mentorship. Um, It's important that we have at least one person. But I think my spiritual father is probably where I draw my greatest inspiration, Mm -hmm. because I believe that I am a vessel and that as a leader. Uh, And a community advocate that I was just born for this. Mm -hmm. It sounds Mm -hmm. kind of crazy. But I'm kind of my own story.
0: Yeah, and I, I do want to touch on that a little bit more because we're in the era of spe- speakers. Everybody's a speaker. Everybody's a coach. Everybody's We've great. had so many on this show. Um, everybody's got you know their angle. But it's getting to the point where it, almost the messaging is starting to feel diluted. It's right? about them. Yeah, and and you know I remember when the live your best life sort of theme started happening. Right, right. now you hear that people I'm living my I'm best, best life. I'm right, I'm, right. You know I'm whatever year of yes all those things. How do you differentiate yourself? When you say you were born for this, it's one thing to feel that and it's it's another completely to be able to go out into the world and stand out in, in a way that someone says, no, we've got to have Randall. We've got to have Randall come in for this. So how do you differentiate?
1: You know, it's funny. Uh, at Berlton City High School, I was there for Black History Month mm-hmm. and spoke to 70 kids. When I finished the presentation, I just had an open conversation with the young men and women in the room. And I kid you not, about five kids started crying. Three of them came up to me afterwards, which we took some video and pictures and talked to them about it. And I realized that this young generation's in pain. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter how much money their family has. Your kids are behind closed doors on that computer wanting to commit suicide, being bullied. So really, it's really touching people where they hurt. It's speaking the message of what they need, mm-hmm. not what I want to bring to them. So if you find out what it is, what the need is and be that Band-Aid, I can send myself the Band-Aid on the wound. Mm-hmm. So 100 people can talk about 100 different topics. But what is a topic that means a lot to you? And how can you relate to the way I tell that story?
0: And what are your core topics, your go-to when, when somebody calls up and says, Randall, we want to bring you in. What do you talk about?
1: One of the things that really I found disturbing as a career coach dealing with people with the interview process Mm -hmm. is it's not too late. We often think it's too late. We put these time frames and calendars of how things have to be done at a certain time. Life does not work that way. Do what you love and the time will work out just fine. You have to be willing to take chances. You have to be willing to step outside of your comfort zone, which people talk about all the time. And don't do things for the lengths On your social media page just to be liked Mm -hmm. because that's not the real work so a lot of stuff we do is actually behind the scenes we don't post everything we do um we just let people know that we're out there and we exist but you really have to really you really have to surround yourself with people that understand what you're trying to do and collectively work together to get the job done
0: have you ever felt though um even knowing that message have you ever felt like i'm behind like i you know i'm playing catch up here i
1: always feel like i'm behind Really? So I'm always on go. No days off. Mm-hmm. Because when I wake up in the morning, that's a gift. I'm still here. What do I need to get done today? Because I may not be here tomorrow. So I don't have time to or sit back. I'm always going. Maybe it's not as good. I need to take some vacation time, mm-hmm. which hopefully is coming up soon. But I always feel like I have a purpose every day of my life. You have to have something to get you out of bed because some days you don't want to get up. Right. So find that thing that gets you up, whether it's your children, your mate, your business, the job you love. you got to have that thing, that motivation without it. You're just existing.
0: And I think there are a lot of people who struggle with the lack of motivation and they feel like it can't be cultivated. So they're like, you know, we talk about Diddy a lot on this show. Like there's the Diddy's of the world who just have a laser like Focus and right, right. he knew he was going to be a mogul. You know, he, he knew this is what he wanted and had a dog in pursuit of it. There are people like you who are going to get up at 5 30 or 4 30 every day and mm-hmm. make it happen. But then there are a lot of other people who don't have that internal fire. That's true. And don't think that it can be developed. But you think that it can, yes, right? It can. By, by finding um, the thing that that you're passionate about or that, that drives you? What other tips would you give people in that in Well,
1: that the book Suited for Success, the topic of my chapter is let your situation be your motivation. Mm-hmm. Every human being has that situation. Only you know what it is. What is that thing that either makes you angry or makes you joyous. And you use that to make that the fire in your belly. Mm -hmm. So if it's buying that condo for the first time, you put all your energy in getting that condo. And once you get that, you're gonna have a new dream. It was showing your mate who walked out on you that you were nothing, but you know you are something. Build yourself up to make yourself the best person you can be, mm-hmm. not to prove them wrong, to prove yourself right. So it's there. You just have to be willing to look for it. And I think people sometimes overcalculate everything. Just sit back and chill. It'll come to you.
0: Mm-hmm. I think I think that is true, and and also not needing to have the entire thing figured out, right? Because 26 sixers by nature, we tend to have paralysis by analysis. Yes, we do yes. want to have every step. Oh, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do that. And Absolutely, I'm gonna do that planning is great. But the ability to pivot and to say, OK, that's not quite working. So let me make some adjustments. Yes. Um, the ability to do that without feeling like, well, I wasted time because I was on this path is necessary. That's true. And a lot of people struggle, I think, with that. Being able to say that that, that was a lesson, right? Mm-hmm. That that didn't quite work. Let's make some some tweaks here and, and keep it moving um, in that way. And also to your point of making positive choices with the belief that the rest of the vision is going to reveal itself.
1: Yeah, because I've learned much more from my mistakes Mm -hmm. um, than any success I've ever had. Right. I've learned from my failures more because when it happens, you adapt and as you said, you Mm -hmm. pivot and then it puts you in the direction you're supposed to go. But if you don't ever step out, if you never step off, if you never move, you'll never know what you're capable of doing. Mm-hmm. I think people have to stop sitting back and always playing it safe. And sometimes you just got to take a chance and say, blanket.
0: Right. And it's um, there's a quote that I think I've mentioned on the show uh, before. And I'm paraphrasing. But basically, if your brand or your product is perfect at launch, you waited too long. That's right. And that is something that in the beginning, I really struggle with as a person who is like as perfectionist as you can get. Um, I, I want everything to be you know exactly right. right. And yeah. this is this show was probably the first project where didn't know. I was like, listen, I don't know where this is going. I just know this is something that I'm supposed to do. And Look at you, girl. You're you know, here. DeMarcus, I was like, we got to do this, what have you. And, and I remember sitting down in the middle of the night. You know, on Christmas Day, going into the 26th of December, recording the first episode for 20 minutes and just starting to tell the story. We didn't know where the guests were coming from. We didn't know how we were going to grow the audience. We had no real marketing strategy. We didn't even have the right equipment. There was no we're going to start, you know, videoing and all this other stuff. It literally just started with an idea,
1: this concept of the December 26th. But but look what you and Demarcus and your team developed. Out of a dream and an idea, Mm -hmm. you just went for it and you did it. It is never going to be perfect. You have to make the move. There's so many people that are stymied from fear that it's frightening. I hear people all the time. Oh, I want to do this, but I'm afraid. I want to do that. Had a couple of coworkers. Man, Mr. Toby, you're really brave. I'm like brave to do what I was born to do, Mm -hmm. to walk out on faith. At some point, you have to do it. Otherwise, you'll get up every morning, make money and be miserable.
0: Right. And also, when you... The more you jump out and start to like figure things out as you go, like to me, I'm at a point in my life now where I know the rest of the vision will reveal itself because I've watched that unfolding happen. So you have to flex those muscles you have to. to get more comfortable with it. It's just the way that it, it goes. And also like just believing that the resources will reveal themselves they will. over time. And also the 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 beauty of doing these things and putting yourself out there is I have found that a no or rejection does not affect me in the same
1: way. At all.
0: One of the things that... Um one of my favorite clips, movie clips, is from Pursuit of Happiness. And Will Smith uh, is, you know, playing Gardner. I forget his his first name. But um, he is in this boiler room making these calls, trying to find clients and not even hanging up the phone. Just literally, it was like the old school, you know, rotary phone. Mm-hmm, he's holding mm-hmm. the button down and he's trying to get someone on the phone. And, you know, he's next. Yeah. And, and it's a no. OK, next. And it's a vision I actually get in my mind as we move on this journey, it literally is just a next. And, and I, I think that's all it is. When you're when you're talking about really high achievers, we we want we're so used to adulation and people being so blown away by what it is that we bring to the table right. that when somebody's like, Yeah, not really into it it, it, it catches you off guard. Like that's true. This is my blood, sweat, and tears, my passion. And you're like, Yeah, I don't get it. Um, but the more you have that experience, the easier it is to be like, you know, your no might turn into a not right now to a yes. I'll be back. Or This may not just be the right fit, and that's okay. But you got to get into it to get used to that.
1: And and people can feel your passion, Mm -hmm. your sincerity, your enthusiasm. And the more you do it, the more people are drawn to you. Right. When I came with the Breakfast with our Boys, like you said, I still don't have a logo. Mm -hmm. I didn't have one particular sponsor. I'm going to ask people to give me money to take some boys to breakfast. (laughs) You know, the first 10 people I sat down told me yes. When I saw the state senator, he wrote me a check for 10 boys day one. And I said, I'm on the right path. So when I walked into other people for what I want to do, Mm-hmm. I assume I, it's going to be yes. And they say, not now. I'll be back. So what else can we do in this place? Right. Okay, we can't do this. Not your budget. What's the next thing we could do together? I'm going to find an end.
0: And you, I remember when we were talking about breakfast with our boys and the work that you were doing and the fact that you had these government officials coming in. Um, And we sat down because at the time we were starting on our, you know, fundraising right. journey. And I'm waiting for like the secret sauce. Like, like what, you know, what's the... the the way to to, to get in and get these people to write checks. And you were literally like, you just got to make the phone
1: call.
0: Like literally, like it literally just like, just call people.
1: All I could say is no. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I did something American Express where we had to do a hundred phone calls a day to clients who we're trying to sell the services to. And I remember when I went out for myself initially, it was like, oh, I got to call people. I used to do that. But now I'm at the point of my life from experience, confidence and great results that I I assume you're going to do this with me. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to do this. What else are we going to do? But we're going to do something. (laughs) So I know people can feel that Mm -hmm. uh, sincerity and confidence. But they also I'm not being cocky or arrogant. It's like I'm doing this to change the world. Mm -hmm. And when people see this wonderful show and people that are going to change the world, you're going to get one of two people that said, I want to take that ride with you. Right. But you have to keep asking. You have to keep moving. And even when they say no, you don't feel like it.
0: Right. And it takes often the right kind of visionary to get it early. Yeah. Yes. Everybody's not going to get it early. They're you not. know, They're the not. large majority of the population is more bandwagoners. They want to see what you can make happen. And
1: and then they'll be like, yo, can I be down?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's finding that tribe of people who are like, I get it. Or, or some people like, I don't even really get it yet. But I, I believe in you so much that I, I want to be down. Well, it's funny. I had five
1: people contact me on Instagram that donated $50 for breakfast with our boys. Wow. And I was astonished that these people saw it. And one of the things they said is there's so many posts, but they said they could see the sincerity in what we were doing. Mm -hmm. And I felt that to be amazing. So when you do it for the right purpose, like this show is to give a platform with your team to people who are amazing in your eyes or have something to offer. And now you're getting more guests and people are going to be on your show even more. Mm -hmm. And you're going to get larger because you're filling a void that's so needed. And when you do that, your time is gonna come. They can't hold you back. You know,
0: and in, in the beginning, we were like, okay, well, mainly me. I, I'll, I'll, I'm not even gonna say we. You know, I was like, what's the plan here, right? And I still have those days where I'm like, we're doing a lot of work. You know, where's where's the return? You know, coming in. Um, but for for me, what is very encouraging is that. A, the consistent growth, but the people who are rabid about this show. You know, and I'm sure you you have these people who are devotees oh, to what so. you do. Um, those are your early adopters. And when I talk to other people who are starting something, um, who are down on themselves because it's not, we all want to be that overnight sensation, Absolutely. right? So down on themselves because, you know, they've created a product line or they've written this book and it's not taking off in the way that they would like. And I'm always like, but look look at the people who are on it, like who, who, who see what you're doing early. They're writing the reviews. They're raving about it. And not only that, they're not keeping it to themselves. Those... Those are the mile markers you have to look at to know I'm on the right track. It may not be happening at the pace that I would like. These are the indicators that I have something special. You
1: you know, I'm so happy you said that because people don't realize that they look for the money coming right away. Mm -hmm. Or all your friends say you're doing the right thing in family. But many a time they'll disagree with you and don't get what you're doing. Yeah. So those aren't the ones you go to initially. Mm -hmm. You do it for the ones you're serving and everything else will fall into time, fall into place all the time.
0: I have very good friends who don't listen to this show.
1: Trust me, I know. I have friends that haven't bought the book.
0: Yeah, and and it's not anything I hold against them. They're like, I'm not really into podcasts. I'm not into talk radio. You know, it's not my thing. That is... Absolutely fine. That yes, is, is okay. And oftentimes too, you, you have to get to the point where you realize sometimes your core audience is not the people closest to you. Exactly. And that's fine. That that is okay. Um it, it's a it, to me, it's an indicator that what you have is for the world. It's one thing to have people to do it because they know you. Right. And it's another thing to have those outside. Like, you know what? I don't know this person, but I'm drawn to this and this is helping me in a way. That's a bigger blessing to and, me. And
1: I think it's amazing because there was a woman on Facebook who mm. lives in Texas that bought the book for her son and I autographed it and we follow each other mm-hmm. and I check on him. he pat his driver's license. I'm like, look at these people's lives affected. I never met. Right. She's in Texas. She buys the book. I autograph it. She tells me her son had his driver's license. I'm quoting on Facebook. These moments may have never happened if it hadn't been moving out on faith. Mm-hmm. So we're at the point that it's like 90 something degrees outside. Everybody in this room could be at the beach, but we chose that what we're doing is going to have such an impact and be a blessing to others. Mm-hmm. That's why you're going to be successful, because you're putting the work in, you're making the sacrifice, and you have a great group behind you. And you
0: drove in from South Jersey.
1: Absolutely. You and know, I got a jacket on, 95
0: degrees. Exactly. And I think this is, the, this is the part that people just don't see. You know, the, the 5 a.m. starts, what it takes to really make it happen. It's, you have to have a dogged pursuit of what you believe in.
1: And I tell you, you're right, because I had spoken to men and women that want to work with young people or start a group and then they see a little bit what I do and they're like, oh, this is too much. I didn't know it was all that. Mm -hmm. I always remember a story of when we were at the library in East Harlem and I worked for the workforce development company. I got off at five o'clock and the event was starting at six to seven thirty at the library it poured rain. I could have shot back to South Jersey, but I said, if one man shows up, I got to be in the building. Mm -hmm. I went to the library. Only four guys came and my team and we had the greatest conversation. Some guys started crying about not being with their dad, even though it was storming rain. And there's other things I could have done, like canceling, not showing up. The fact that I was there, I changed the universe. Right. Because these men have something to say. In those moments of success, you'll be blessed at other things because I believe God is testing you see, can you do it when things aren't perfect, when things aren't going your way? Mm -hmm. Well, you hang in and will you not give up?
0: Right. Absolutely. So you, you, you've you told one sort of December 26th story, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. Describe a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day.
1: I think one of the times that stand out all the time is when I was homeless with my wife mm-hmm. and uh, we had to sleep in our car for about 30 days. And one day we went to the bathroom and I'm brushing my teeth at a local restaurant or the gas station. And I went into talk to some young men. I had to be a motivator and inspiration for them. And I stood there like, yo dog, I just came out the bathroom brushing my teeth and I got to tell you how you could be successful. And I had to stand up and look at where I was and what I came through. And I went in there with a fire you would not believe. And when the guys came to me at the end and I didn't feel like doing it, I was tired. You know, in the bathroom, in a public place is not a cool thing. And my clothes in the back of the car. But when I walked into the room, I lit the room up. And I realized there is no excuse about you can't because if you want it bad enough, you do what you have to do, especially when it's inconvenient, and that will lead you to greatness.
0: So that's not—I didn't expect that. But <laughs> I
1: didn't expect to say it. that. I just wanted. So to
0: living out of your car with your wife, mm-hmm. right? Which I think for any man who's worth his weight, that's a blow to the ego too. Like not only oh, that you. you're in this situation, you're in the situation with the woman that you committed to provide Absolutely. for. Right. So that and you are in your motivational
1: speaking career. Absolutely. I still had to go speak in front of groups. And what's so funny is I told a few friends that like, when were you homeless? You didn't give me a shout out. If it wasn't for you, it was for me. I didn't want help because I faced it as a child. Mm-hmm. When I faced it as an adult, it was a whole different ball game. I'm like, this is temporary. We're going to do this. You ready, kid? let's rock, Claudia. And we made it happen.
0: Now, did this audience know?
1: No, nobody knew. Nobody Nobody. knew. I just started disclosing this the last couple of months because it was like no big deal. It was part of my journey. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, some of us know we're here for different reasons. Mm -hmm. We know the time is limited. So we got to put it all in before we go and leave exhausted. And I'm that guy. I have to walk out exhausted and leave a legacy.
0: Have you ever had a moment where you're like, I just can't do this? Like, I just can't take it anymore?
1: I haven't had a moment that I can't do it. I've had doubts, Mm -hmm. but I have to do it because what else am I here for? Yeah. When you or I or anyone else realize they have a purpose, your life is never the same. You always have a reason to move. Mm -hmm. Always have a reason to be grateful and get up. I discovered my purpose many years ago. So I don't worry about it. It's going to happen. And then I surround myself with people like you guys. So it keeps me going, my tough times.
0: You got that confidence, you you, you know, that unshakable confidence for sure. I think I'm all right. I, I can see you back in the day promoting photo, uh, oh, promoting parties. From, I was pretty from, good. I, I I can see the fast talking. I I, I I see it for sure.
1: But I'm always sincere. Yes. Always sincere.
0: Absolutely. So, where can people find you online?
1: Well, you guys can follow me on Facebook, Instagram. Um, Randall E Toby, R A N D A L L. Mm-hmm. E stands for excellence, I always say. Mm-hmm. Toby, T O B Y. Um, feel free to reach out to me. Um, if you want to talk about some things, you want to get some opinion, uh, we want advice, I'm always open. I'm here to give. Or if they want to bring you in to speak. That's even better because I could pay.
0: <laughs> cut the check. You yeah. have to cut, cut the, the check. check. Well, cut I'm the check. I'm glad we finally had this conversation. Listen, it's been in the making for six a while. or seven
1: months in the making. Yeah. The Marcus was not giving up. Him and I had gone back and forth a 40 <laughs> couple of times. So um, you guys are great people. I love what you and your team are doing. You have my support for the lifetime. Thank uh, you. I know you have. I have yours. Of course. And I look forward to, to seeing you at the top, and more importantly, bring other people with us. Absolutely. Because it's not about us. It really isn't. And it's we're a, gonna get this done.
0: The gifts need to be exhausted for those that you are meant to help. Absolutely. Hate is so. gonna
1: hate. Love is gonna love.
0: <laughs> for sure. To our listeners, make sure you check out Randall online. He's very active on on social media, making sure he's capturing what's what's happening in his world and the work that he's doing. So follow him. Follow his work if you. You are a local to the tri-state area or you have the budget to fly him somewhere else. Uh, he's a dynamic, motivational speaker. Thank you. So feel free to reach out to him for that. And remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delicia. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Toval. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December26er. That's December 26ER.